Questions and uh, just to recognize the question, experience of questions, questioning and answering. There's a certain quality to it. <laughs> it's funny, little things like this you can go. You know, just the other day, I, you know, I got introduced to the microwave. I'd never operated a microwave before. I was so pleased I could operate a microwave. And next I'm going to try the clock. And after that I'm going to see if I can master the microphone. <laughs> These things struggle, you know. And they keep inventing new stuff. Just as you get used to old stuff. I had a list of questions here and we tried to sort them out to something logical. Um, just remember that, uh, you know, with questions and answers, I try to sort of say things that might be useful. And um, you're really focusing on what could be useful. And recognize, you know, the world of conceptual thought is, is not really the most satisfactory place to look for truth. So if we can use some words that may just help to, to shake out some of these, these kind of confused patterns uh, of conceiving things and just kind of open up, oh, you know, maybe a little hint that uh, we could kind of uh, uh, realize or, or hold and take into the heart and wonder what that could feel like just to vichara it, you know. So see if we can come up with something that might be useful. Where does intention come from? It's the nature of intention. Mm. When I moves to pick up a cup, I can't tell whether the impulse is in my mind or in my body. Buddha said intention is karma. I have a hard time getting at my intentions. Speak often of counteracting the urge to do. I can see why. What is that push in the mind is so often there, even a relatively quiet mind. Mm -hmm. I was noticing the urge for movement when Dukkha was close. Remember t- teaching about what obscures the three characteristics? Movement obscures dukkha. That's shifting around. Means you don't notice dukkha. Continuity, or moving your mind from one topic to another. Continuity obscures anicca. That is, we think, because we keep repeatedly doing something, it seems things aren't changing because we keep reiterating it, rather like a needle stuck in a groove. And similarity obscures anatta, or familiarity, you know, so something keeps kind of, has a certain similarity to it, so it seems like the same 
thing and that becomes myself or an object of myself. You say more? Not really. Um, movement can be very small. This movement is, is um, a movement of Sankara. Mm. So there's your fundamentally, the movement quality is in, is in Chetana. And here we got the English word intention, which of course is confusing because intention by and large for people means something deliberately considered to do. And that's really not quite what ha- what it's about. It's more like a certain impulse that, that rises up, and, yeah, uh, urge, you know, to do something, twitch, volitional twitch. Yeah, naturally, that can evolve into a whole kind of considered thought of purpose, but that's sankapa, which is more like where you're coming from, motivation, and so forth. So. But the urge to do is chaitana, it's where karma arises. Now you can't do it in your body or your mind because because it's um, um, cause it, uh, because it's in both. <coughs> you can't really separate that. Of course, the, the considered deliberation will be mental, but the impulse that you know, if you stop thinking of oh, the body and mind as two separate experiences, let me see, the embodied mind, so the citta as what, how the body experiences, how the, you know, body intelligence, you could say, citta rests on this body intelligence. And I don't mean your fingers or your skin, but... Uh, the sense of body intelligence, that's where your jitta is based. So when you experience an impulse to do, it jumps into your body, or you experience it, in, if you contemplate the body experience, it could be there. If it's a very subtle one, you won't probably feel very much. It's just a kind of slight, perhaps often a slight movement up to the face or the head or the hand, you know, and the shifting and the shuddering. So whether you can detect it in your body or not depends on how uh, strong that that intention is, how forceful it is, and how subtle your awareness is. Mm. Mm. The urge to do is because avijja pachya sankara. There's this kind of sankara is generated through unknowing so because so um, you know, the sense of something isn't being sensed so we have to do something to uh, whatever it is uh, <laughs> fill up the space or make something happen or move away from something it's a kind of a very base level it's a kind of fundamental oscillation that occurs uh, because of the non abiding in presence or the, or the shifting out of presence out of alignment with presence mm. so you know so sankaras only really uh, cease in, in nibbana because then there's nothing to do because mm. there isn't anything being generated as something to do and there's no need to do anything mm. 
So this Avijapachya Sankara, Sankara, one of the fundamental forms of Sankara is Chetana, translated as intention, sometimes volition, sometimes formation, sometimes activity, sometimes determination, sometimes program, sometimes conditions. It's it's a tricky one. Yeah. Yeah, so it's all sort of this activation experience. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, activation can be yeah, because the mind is uh, uh, activated unskillfully. So it's, it's gr- you know, basically acquisition, greed, uh, aversion, uh, delusion. Or even it's activated skillfully. And so it's still activation, it's still conditioned by ignorance. So even a skillful activation is conditioned by ignorance to the degree to which, you know, if you... You know, if there is clarity, there's no need to do anything. <laughs> so it's because there isn't clarity that there's a sense of, oh, I want to do something good, which is fine. You know, I want to do something good. That kind of, which is, it's, it's, it's not immoral. It's ethically good, but it still means at that point, there's the the mind is generating something to do and an urge to do, and a person to do it. So in counteracting the urge to do, you just uh, um, contemplate the feeling of it, really, just the the effect of it. Mm. It can be, uh, have a beautiful quality, you know, so they should do something beautiful, um, loving, generous, or Scatty, distracted, is the sense of rising up, you know, and then maybe it's good to to, to have the urge to do, to to rise up, but then, you know, because we do rise up to act, but when we do things like uh, cultivate uh, mindfulness, cultivate Loving kindness—that's definitely the, uh, something, an intention, a rising up intention. But then you're kind of clear about it. It's not fantasies, or just blur. You're clear about intention. The clearer you get about it, then, uh, and then there's a possibility, possibility that it's possible that meditation. Ah, I have arrived at a pleasant state. Now, could my mind just open and enjoy and relax into that? Then the intention subsides. There's still a subtle intention, the intention just to open and enjoy and receive and deepen. Yeah. And then what really kind of brings it to its, its completion is a quality that arises more, you know, when there is um, some skillfulness, or some quality of that, this sense of that's just that's just the thing, that's just the perception, that's just an experience, that's just the that it came into being, it will pass. So <laughs> then there isn't the kind of you know oh I'll make something out of it. Because there isn't somebody, you know, it arises and passes. So you can't really say much more than that because you either get it, like 
It's just a thing. Doesn't mean it's bad, but it is a thing. It's an experience that comes and passes. You generated it, didn't you? It was generated, so it will break up. Uh-huh. Listen to that a few times. There's dispassion. But before that happens, we generally put our urge to do into doing some good things, and then doing good things and doing subtler things, refined things, and then doing things in terms of moderating attention, yeah, developing the, the enlightenment factors. So this is called intentions or the karma that leads to the end of it, because as you, that mode of activity occurs, it's possible within that you generate a matrix, a field, a benevolent field that you can sort of sit in and feel comfortable in, and the kind of restless, agitated stuff begins to pass, and the negative stuff and the grungy stuff, and then uh, this is this. That's been ah. Oh. Oh. Now there's nothing to be made of this. Nothing more to be made of it. Yeah, I don't want to put any more words around it because I th- it's just stay with that impression. <laughs> I mean, uh, there will be other words we can put around it, but I think that's enough for that particular point. Without renunciation, I'm often unaware of attachments, e.g. tried to give up grumbling recently. Yikes. Um, note grumble. But with renunciation, it's often contraction and even depression. How to find the sweet spot? Well, the two things here: have renunciation, which is um, generally associated with really like um, sense objects, such as giving up smoking or giving up going to the movies or giving up, uh, you know, a definite thing. You, you say, why do you give it up? Just because. And why do you give it up? Because you're tired of it. Because <laughs> you feel it's not going anywhere. Because you think this is just getting into these nowhere spaces, going around in circles, why bother? This is using up my energy. It's, not, it's just giving me a kind of vague blur of comfort and then, so what, you know? So the giving up, renunciation, comes from a certain fullness of uh, wisdom and a certain fullness of, of, of heart. So it really comes after cultivating goodwill, generosity, uh, virtue, and you feel there's that. And some meditation, so you really sense what's happening, and then, oh, there he is, this guy's rushing into all his stuff again. Oh, God, tiring. Easy just to cut it off. <laughs> it's like that. And you can do that. So even you can, in renunciation, you can determine for a week I won't do this, or I stop this at six o'clock, or I only do this. You know, you can just moderate it. 
and, and so forth. You can make it quite specific. So then you just, and it becomes because of the realization, this pulls me in, it gobbles me up. It's not taking me to be useful. I'm using up energy. Why bother? You know, and I've got better things to do. Giving up grumbling. Yeah, that, that's, that's good, but uh, giving up requires a little more than that. You have to develop a lot of, um, or more metta karuna for that. Kindness and goodwill and compassion. Mm. Towards the irritated experience. Experience the irritation. Uh, so life is irritating. Mm. Things are late, things break down, things don't work. People get in the way, it's working too slow, who she thinks she is anyway. Uh, she's sitting too close. Um, he dropped a spoon, and you know, the red is no good. Uh, feel mm, I'm no good either. Grumble. So it's like, it can be this irritation experience, uh, which is contact. And generally, what's needed with a grumbling mind is to is to develop a lot more uh, warm-heartedness. You can't relinquish it. You you in that in that uh, it's not a renunciation experience. It's a sense of fullness of heart and, and makes it. Um, you know, gets irritated. So, with renunciation, it's often contraction, even depression. Well, that's not correct renunciation. That's uh, mm, renunciation should come from a fullness. Mm. Mm, I don't know what you, what's happening there contraction. Sounds like you're just trying to give something up because you think you should. Mm. Sweet spot, how to find the sweet spot. Sweet spot just comes first and renunciation helps you to take advantage of it more fully. It's a flicker of, you know, of feeling yeah, there's something good here, and, and because of that, you put something else aside, and then you've got a chance, you've got more space to enjoy it. The sense of, you know, it could be self-respect, you know, um, contentment. <coughs> Focus on topics that generate contentment, rather than there's places that you're kind of irritating. Mm. Yeah. Because there are, you know, we can find experience very irritating. Only it's, it's, it's uh, you know, this, this really goes, this sense of being irritated, it's quite, a, 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 only disappears at the level of awakening. So when we contemplate irritation, what is irritated? Heart is irritated. Uh, the friction, contact, impression. Mm. 
if you can just get it down to that, the sense of being irritated. Sound irritates, movement irritates. You can get it down as close as you can to the nerve ending, perception of of oneself or a person or something causes this irritation. Okay, that's contact, it's a sensitivity. And a little more goodwill and sweetness and sympathy for uh, the nerves. (laughs) The irritated nerves mm-hmm. and direct your attention to experiences that generate appreciation enjoyment uh, uh, warmth uh, contentment propensities this I think is what I was word I sometimes call potencies or potentials. The other word for them is um, latent tendencies. The Pali word is anutsaya. Are the inclinations of the mind or heart that open as one deepens into silence and space? Are they deeply ingrained habit forces that pull us and can lead us, lead to skillful responses towards liberation or unskillful responses? Or the energy forces that draw the mind and body in unforeseen, unexpected ways. Those are all ways of expressing it. Mm. <clears throat> so they're called latent tendencies. So if we experience, uh, as we open up conscious experience, uh, conscious experience, you open it up, and you could say, first of all, there's obvious things such as sights and sounds, but then there's these, how that strikes you. Agreeable, disagreeable. And that's where the, the tendencies start at that place. Yeah. And then we kind of, uh, um, you begin to see the potentials for feeling ill will, negativity, irritation, in the, almost in, in one's atmosphere. And then it grabs onto a person or a feature of some kind and then it gets going and then this asava flood starts happening. Tendencies, so it's associated with um, the basis of the hindrances, uh, potencies, the potential to feel irritation, the potential for becoming, the potential to feel greed, to experience that, to see objects that that are greed arousing to see objects that are lust arousing. Mm-hmm. So there's a potential for there. Because, and the, it's so ingrained that we really assume there are real things there to, to feel you know, passion or aversion around. It's really, you know, that's great and that's fantastic and that's a terrible thing. Because yeah. it's, it's, it's saturated, the Anutsa tendency. Where is the beauty? Where is the disgusting? Where is it? Is it in the, you know, it's in the mind, isn't it? It's generating it. Yeah. So that's the anutsaya. And there's, there's a, the energy is, is uh, the asava energy, is which, which sort of drags it out of the potential into the actual. And then there's the flooding effect.
And, um, you know, one of the could say another synopsis of practice is to check the asava, check the flood, counteract the floods, uh, block the floods, and uproot the tendencies by, you could say, very broadly speaking, by overcoming the sense of a subject and an object. You know, there, there's no such thing as a subject and object. It's not, you know, so what is experienced is in that unified realm. There's only the totality is the only thing that's happening. Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, if we push that onto some object, then that that view, that assumption, is where the anutsaya lay, lay, lie in that very view. Right. What you're actually experiencing, right at the the intimacy of it, the arising of, yeah, and then. So naturally, as one's mind becomes more quiet, then that infiltration perhaps becomes apparent because there isn't such an immediate deluge of apparent objects, which would tend to, those apparent objects would tend to carry their nutsaya signal, and we will believe that they're in those objects, that the objects are somewhere other than where I am. So the mind gets quieter, nothing going on, and then something pops in, and it's when it pops in compulsively, then it's got a certain anutsaya tendency to it. Careful with attention. You mentioned to be careful with attention in practice, negative and positive. Can you further explain? Well, you attend to phenomena such that skillful states arise and you attend, move your attention away from phenomena where unskillful states arise. This is called careful attention. Mm. Taking care with attention, not letting attention sees and so attention is the focal flex of the mind flexing so it can focus on something where one will feel jealous one will feel comparing one will feel you you focus on that and that energy rushes in or you could say there's something with a potential to feel jealous or whatever and then just let's soften the focus see the big picture don't need to go into that instead you know, widen the attention and suddenly, oh, that thing there is only one detail anyway, I'm aware of a bigger picture. And then it doesn't have the same pull to it. And then uh, having kind of released some of the lock of that attention, and well, you know, let's give attention to some quality where one will feel, say, contentment. I have food, I have warmth, I am sheltered. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm 
you know, in good company. Uh, you know, sort of things that you can feel, it's already here. I have presence. Mm. I have the time for practice. I can hear the Dhamma. Uh, even just to hear, instead of hearing people cursing and swearing and being nasty to each other. <laughs> instead of people kind of making a hullabaloo and demanding and lying. How beautiful just to feel like there can be some silence around me. Oh, you know. Or words that touch the heart. So you attend to things, you get selective. And that's, that's uh, you know, we may feel that our attention is more or less locked. I'd like to be able to think of good things, but I'm stuck on this particular worry. Well, widen your attention, relax your body, generate whatever it takes to slip, to get the mind to slip from that negative experience. It's going to change. It's an object, it will change. Uh, you know, it's never, nothing, life isn't that good, really. <laughs> you know, human beings aren't really that, we're not, it's not that great, human life. So you can look at all the messy bits of it, if, but, you know, it's not going to get that good. But you can look at some of the good bits of it rather than just kind of obsessed with the negative stuff as if that's going to solve anything. Mm. <laughs> so some wisdom is necessary and uh, some little shifts of, of how you shift your the energy of your mind to not get pinpoint obsessive. Mm. can be just through talking to somebody else helps, seeing big pictures helps. Say more about how to cultivate a field of goodwill, metta. Tendency to self-disparagement and other forms of ill will, such an established default, keeps undermining any efforts to challenge its authority. This may have been going on for lifetimes, certainly persistent in this one. So this experience happening in this field, in our assembly here, I imagine it, you know, something that individual minds move into. <coughs> it's very sad, really. Very sad.
must be, as we, you know, you can probably listen to any number of talks and read any kind of number of articles and books about cultivating goodwill. So I don't know what to add to that. How does a mind of ill will become a mind of goodwill? How does a mind that's caught in ill will become a mind that establishes goodwill? There's the riddle. Mm. And of course the answer is it doesn't. (laughs) Uh, There's got to be a recognition that that very mindset is not your mind, but a sankara, an an impermanent, a changing condition. Otherwise there'd be no way out of it. So what stops the perpetuation of that having that one having happened, what um, stops that sankara continually reforming because it will keep reforming as long as one as long as that potency is being activated. Mm, so mm. Yeah, so you can see that in a number of ways and obviously there are articles and books and talks on this topic. So I'll try something different perhaps. There's the self that is disparaged. There's the action of disparaging. There's that which disparages. There's that which is criticized. There's the action of criticizing and there's that which criticizes. So any one of those. And probably the one who is criticized is most difficult one to to free. Mm. Because she is seen in that, she is formed by the critic. She doesn't exist prior to the critic. The critic forms this person the critical mind forms the person to criticize. And try to consider that. So if you're trying to get the criticized person to shape up or be something other than she is or isn't, or you know, be happy or get it right or don't be this way or look that way, something, you know, you're working on the wrong one. Because that is a phantom, that's a ghost, that's just, that's a mirage. You can't tidy your mirage up. <laughs> you really, you know. Uh, you go to that which does the disparaging, the criticizing. How's that? And you might even go to the experience of it, a particular energy, which is what? How's it feel? Tightening, contracting, pressing, t- uncomfortable clearly. Mm. What is it that does disparaging? Can't find it but it has a particular mood, it's, uh, it's contracted, it's uh, often hurt, irritated by something, mm. disappointed, it's hurt, it's in pain of some kind or another, it's a pain experience. Mm. It's seeking something, and it, because it's in this contracted state, it doesn't know itself. It's the quality of that which criticizes 
Who is she? What does she need? And what does she need? Instead of creating a person to criticize, what does it really need? Mm. Now, you know, we say, where, not what the questions, where does the question go when you apply it to the critic? Because you're coming back into the, sub, the wounded subjectivity rather than this self as an object, as a person, this, this afflicted subjectivity. And we're coming back into that. We're touching that. We're interested in that. We just want to find where it is. We want to find who this one is. We want to actually help this one. Mm-hmm. She's something, something, she's unhappy. We want to help her. We don't want to get rid of her. We want to help her. What does she need? Uh, even just, uh, needs a, she's not steady. She's not comfortable. She's not, she doesn't know where she, she's alone. Um, she's not in a field of goodwill. She's not aware of benevolent qualities. She's isolated. She's trapped herself. She's frozen. She's in her own bubble. And this, you know, Now, the field of goodwill uh, is we start to empathize with that which generates ill will. That the critic, we start to empathize with it, sympathy for the critic. Uh, oh, how does it feel? How is it? Not change, just how is it? Resonate. Till you get the resonances of the, the nervy, the irritated, the unsatisfied, the hurt, the wounded, the crying, the embittered, the, the not loved. <laughs> yeah. Critic is nobody loves a critic. Yeah. Not this is the unloved. So you can really get that and sympathize with it. The field of loving kindness starts to open. That's one way we can. Uh, attend to it. So if you really want to get this, the critic, the person, you might say, how do you get it? Well, you might say, helps to get it by not going into the topics, not going to even the one, but into the, the feel it, where does it feel it in your body? That's always a good place to start, which just takes you off of the story into something much more in terms of energetics. Yeah, and energetics, uh, even though they are themselves, you know, so they can move, shift around, they tend to not, a little bit more manageable than stories, which proliferate. And you're out in mirage land. Unless you're dealing with a reality, even though it's an afflicted reality, of, of this contracted, unloved state. Yeah. So love is not a sentiment can be a sentiment, but it's essentially the willingness to, to the experience of embrace. The experience of embrace. Very simply speaking, experience of embrace. And 
it's time to hug the frog. snake and then as always saying all the good fairy stories and kiss the frog and turns into the princess <laughs> the field of metta um, by and large fields are uh, helpful another way we just work on the energy the critical energy it's the, the, the critic itself and the critical energy criticizing energy when you generate the quality of celebration you know, praising Buddha Dhamma Sangha, just generate different energy. The field, because, you know, a quality of something suffusive, you know, generate, do an action of goodwill, act of generosity, you know, something where you don't put yourself in a bubble. It's the bubbling is very hypnotic, because, you know, we want, something is, wants to go into our little bubble. We can get in there with our toys and play, things and work things out right on the inside of our bubble self-preoccupation not good for you yeah so you know meditations shouldn't be just living in a bubble it's obviously a sense restraint but it's not a skin it's not a it's the same just the moderation stay in the field stay in the field field may just look like a room with people in it stay in the field and how is that? Then what is skillful to attend to? Don't just shut off. What is skillful to attend to? Don't mm. get compulsive about shutting off. And you tend to get bubbles. And then it's the precursor to fermenting. Fermenting and then if the mind isn't assured if it has a wound, if it has, then it will start to foment and ferment its woundedness in that. This is not meditation. This is obsession. And we're in danger with that. Well, you know, devotion, love, generosity, goodwill, these are just generating healthy energies. And it's not about particular beings, though naturally you can use beings to help do that, but it's generating the sense of a consciousness, conscious process that is about the embrace, is about the connection, the sympathy. Of course, with all these questions, this is just another little tip you can put in there, and I hope, really hope some of this works for you. I really do, because it's very sad when good people with good intentions waste their energy on self-disparagement. Very painful, and you have my sympathy. a couple of pieces here mm. maybe useful mm. oh, something all mm. oh, right question about oh, alcohol we did that the other night didn't we 
Okay, smoothing the mind out with some exhalation, using the energy of the exhalation to soften, smooth the mind out and becoming more stable, how to continue. The mind is inclined towards the image of the cowhide that's being smoothed out. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. It's grooming, groom brushing a horse. Um, I sometimes find there's a vague sense of waiting for breathing to be non-afflicted and get very jammed up in those times. Well, um, yeah, see if you can locate or even vaguely the sense of the the um, if breathing feels afflicted. Um, and by and large, you know, one of the ways in which we come out of con- stuck states is to loosen attention. Mm-hmm. As I said before, you know, just unhook attention, widen. Generally, your attention you wide, widens. You don't get such interesting, sharp focuses, but it does help to just unhook from, you know, where one's getting locked or obsessive and stuck. And uh, there's also there's an energetic shift that happens with that. Energy tends to, takes a while sometimes, but energy starts to soften and become smoother. Whereas, certainly if, if your energy in your mind is in good state, then you can gradually collect that together more. But if it's not in a good state, it's helpful to dislodge, break the focus of attention is wide and, um, and then is this really helpful at this time if that just the widening if that allows energy to settle and move through well and good well and good and then you can attend to breathing from a pretty soft slightly vague space just a vague sense of uh, you know different there is a difference between breathing in and breathing out maybe just that one just knows that that's all and that feels non-afflictive good okay then perhaps with that one becomes interested. Interest. How get interested in it, and then you can draw closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it becomes steady and stable, then um, the uh, instruction is to uh, again try to wide. Make that more constant, more continual, more more spread through the whole embodied mind, and then enjoy. Just you've got something beautiful. Why not just sit back and enjoy it? You know, like it, you know, the beauty of it, and do that for quite a while. You now, time should slow down. Time slows down, and, and so. While a while shouldn't be measured on the clock, but it should be until the fretfulness ceases, and still the doubt ceases, until the sense of what should I do next stops. <laughs> and, then, oh. and enjoyment then has had its effects. And then we might contemplate this quality, this beautiful quality has come into being. I've been blessed with this. This too will pass. Uh-huh. Dispassion. 
doesn't mean any anything more than that. Doesn't mean it shouldn't be here. Doesn't mean it just just uh huh. It's of the nature to shift and fade. Mm-hmm. A little cooling, a little sort of slight slight inchy withdrawal of emotional energy. Just the settling back and. Uh, then something else, the sphere of dispassion is the most uh, fruitful actually. This is where the deathless is in that because it uh, has no particular position. It's not in something, it's not away from something, it's just the awareness all things are this. There's no going in, there's no pushing out, there's no, just it's this. And so that Slight kind of say a certain emotional with, withdrawal allows things to cool, and another domain opens up. The domain, the sphere of the deathless, begins to. How can you say it? You know, it's not an object. It's a sense of coolness, a sense of stability, a sense of not going in, a sense of. You know, something stops. <clears throat> Faith. Practice begins with faith. You said earlier in the treat the practice begins with faith. However, faith and a sense of the sacred is often missing in Western adaptions of Buddhist practice. Though I'm sometimes moved by, quote, the sacred. Unquote. When it's present, I don't know how to cultivate and maintain that connection in my own practice. And what to have faith in exactly? Possibly the freedom here and now, or <coughs> faith is um, it's the beginning of the overview. Yeah, so we could be very much involved in stuff, doing things, you know, eating, sleeping, moving around, shifting stuff around, and all of us have the ability as human beings to get some sense of something overview. Say, wait a minute, where am I going? What's happening here? Is this worthwhile? Does this taste good? Should I buy another one? We do that. We do step back. We always do that. Yeah. Unless you, well, at moments you're just totally embedded in things. That's, you step back. And, and that ability to step back you know, viveka, to disengage, to pause, to be um, heedful, heedful. So, as it said, heedfulness is the path to the deathless. Just that ability to, how is this now? Now, you know, it's a sort of a lifting off from what we're doing, just this could be microsecond, and that's necessary to keep in balance, isn't it? Otherwise you're just plowing obsessively in, heedful. And then faith is the sense that there could be a better, there could be something other than, than just plowing along. <laughs> you know, so it starts as almost like a mystery sense, it could be. And then, you know, faith, uh, the sense there could be. Now, people can have faith in many, many 
objects, but we human beings can have objects that aren't technically here. So you can have a carrot in your hand, but you can have faith that there could be a better carrot coming tomorrow. But that isn't here, is it? (laughs) And what's here, you can have or not have. Faith is something that could be. And we we can do that. And most of us do it. You know? Otherwise, you're really in trouble. You get depressed if there's no faith. Now, faith in Buddha Dhamma Sangha is a faith in the potential for awakening or anything towards that. It means rather than I could have another this, that, or the other, there could be some relief from suffering for this being. There could be some higher, beautiful, more pure, more whatever you want to call it. And there could be that. This is possible. There's that potential. So there's a certain energy that comes with that, a lifting energy, and a, and a, and a curiosity. Where could that be? What direction would I go to find that? And then we start looking around for something that will inspire that, that will that will that will, that will land upon. Faith in a teacher. Faith, you read something, faith arises. Oh, that, I could, I could get, I haven't got that, but that sounds worth pursuing. Anything like that, where it's going to be about really, uh, you know, subjective improvement, like really on this sense of being something is going to be improved, not having something, but being something is going to improve. That's the most skillful um, triggers for faith. Yeah. And also, if you have faith in, so you say Buddha, there is awakening, or Dhamma, there's the truth, you look, at, you look at the list of it, you think, oh, that sounds, yeah, ah, possible. Mm. And it gives you also confidence in yourself. Not in your person package, but that there's a mind that could even have faith. <laughs> You know, like, like something in me does lift. Something in me can aspire. Whether I achieve anything or not, it's a second, you know, secondary topic. That's not faith. That something in me could aspire at all. Something can rise. Something can hope. Something can aspire. So there's a sense in which when one finds a worthy object of faith, it also uplifts one's, gives one a greater sense of just a bit more self-respect. Uh, there's something here worth, you know, rising up to. Something worth mm, lifting. Mm. Aspiration. And then uh, we arrive at... Uh, so naturally, you know, the material world is... Secular materialism tends to always feel very much things as things. And you get them, get what you want, get get rid of what you don't want, or you become something or another. So it's pretty much um, linear progression towards something else. And so faith lifts off the topic, yeah, and uh, we come into nature of heart.
nature of citta. So it's, it's uh, right? So, you know, you must say, I have faith I could be, you know, the, the fastest runner or something. Well, that would be having faith in your legs or your trainer or your coach or your muscles or something. That's not your chitta. You could say, I have faith that I could, I could try. That would be a bit closer to it. But then to really most usefully is faith in this heart, the fact that it can aspire, it can open. It's not just about adopting another set of images or projects or positions or statuses or fantasy conclusions or gold stars. It's just faith about presence. And and really this is, see that's the important thing. use Buddha images and so forth to, to catalyze. Clearly we're not worshiping, they're not gonna do anything for us, but they can remind us of something that's just very still, pure, upright, balanced. And isn't that telling you something about yourself, about your reality? The core of reality. Jitta can't be experienced, only its effects can be experienced. So jitta is the real thing and reality cannot be experienced, <laughs> cannot be seen, cannot be revealed as, a, as an object because how could you see reality? Where would you be in order to see reality? You have to be outside it. <laughs> so the reality cannot be experienced as an object. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, essentially, the highest forms of faith is that which causes the subject, subject which cannot be seen, to open. It can open. There can be, you say, the heart can embrace. There can be this opening. That can be experienced as, yeah, because instead of going into the existence which is the phenomenal world phenomenal world which we can see and do and touch and make and push along and measure and so forth instead of going more into that yeah you're coming back into the real the here and what does it do you find a sense of something feels a little more stable we could say experience, the effect of it can be experienced. The effect of it experiences like an opening or a resonance or a realization or sometimes a pausing of thought, a stopping, a, oh my gosh, a, wow. And so the results of it, the resonances can be experienced and you wonder where they are. Was it, huh, did it? Something, you know, you just came into reality. And faith is, is why that's, you know, I'm saying, I don't know if the practice begins. I mean, you know, one, one search for practice it may begin with some ideas, but the practice really switches on when there's that opening of faith. And it could be, you know, you just moseying around, you're sitting in a coffee bar and you want this and open something up and, well, 
or you see someone, wow, that's where it begins. And then you how did I do that? Where did I get that? Where did I get then it, you know, then the struggle begins. Jitta <laughs> <laughs> mm. <coughs> and consciousness. So, jitta, different from the six sense consciousnesses. Yes, indeed. I think I've kind of just touched on it really. Jitta, uh, you can experience what affects jitta can be experienced, can be, can be noticed, can be noticed. This is the jitta affected by fear, the fi- jitta occluded jitta. So there's affected. One can, one can get a sense of these effects. Who is being affected? When we see something, who is the seer? right now. When you hear something, who heard that right now? Before you form a thought about it, where did it land? Before you form a thought about it. If you form a thought about it, who thought the thought? Right? That's, you're coming, you know, you're just teasing chitta. So, consciousness in this respect, sixth sense consciousnesses <coughs> represent, you know, these bases through which, you know, the energy that that energy of reality, because it's an energetic experience, it's a vibrant experience, runs out, and it leaks. This asava is outflow or leakage. So this subjectivity is for an unawakened being is constantly leaking out through the sense door. So we're finding that out there is this and that and this and that, giving it all kinds of qualities, quali- giving it quality. Yeah. And that's what happens. Mm. Who's experiencing that? Who's experiencing being gladdened or annoyed? Mm. It could be as simple as that. Jitta. Yeah, yeah. We use the word chitta for it, or the Buddha used the word chitta for it. People say it's mind, you can call it mind. I'm cautious about mind. Awareness, that's not bad. Presence, that's another way of touching into it. Here, you know, it's that chitta. Different from the consciousnesses. But the consciousness provides, is an activated experience where, you know, that stuff comes alive, stuff gets the, gets you activated, it stirs. The stirring reaches out and draws in an object to get stirred by. Right. So, this is why it can be, um, they can be changed. If the, the reaching out is tanha, of various kinds, bhava tanha, becoming something, karma tanha, uh, sense desire, and all the various complications of those forms. And we bhava tanha, uh, the desire to get rid of things, to be out of here. Mm. So that one negativity. So that energy rushes out into consciousness and then picks out in the field potentials, certain objects to get 
that can that can fit the fit the description, and then brings that object in, and you get and you get activation occurs and more stuff starts happening. So this kind of rolling on of of con- of through that process, the activated, the consciousness sankara, sankara consciousness, and uh, but with realization, which it doesn't rush out, doesn't freak out, then this consciousness does not apprehend an object. Certainly there's still, while this body and mind are around, there's still the ear, eye, nose, tongue, etc., even mental consciousness, um, but they are, the co- there's not that running out. This is called the stopped consciousness. And uh, though the obviously the ear, the nose, and so forth have the objects there is there are such things as rupa form objects uh, mind doesn't have an mano doesn't have an object unless it creates one so say if i was meditating with the sense doors closed and the mind drawn in yeah in a with a consciousness which it doesn't leak out through the mind consciousness there is no mental object to bounce around because hmm? it's not leaking out into the mind so if there's no mental object there's no impression being received the you know the bouncy bit stops because <laughs> you know it doesn't create anything to bounce off so this is called you know cessation and consciousness then is neither coming nor going and a trackless it has no measure there's nothing you can be measured by so this is of course you know arahant stuff but um you ask the question <coughs> <laughs> and it may be just just to kind of bear in mind that the uh the relativity of um the sense sense objects uh you know it's every because we're all in these subjective impressions that make, and we'd probably all have very rough agreements on on most of the visual things. You get down to it, I don't think there's anything really that we would all say is exactly that for all of us that we would notice. We all see things slightly differently, slightly different flavor to to color or shape or form. Yeah sound and can change from day to day from moment to moment the image of consciousness that's used in the in the tibetan tradition is a monkey that runs from hither to thither like a monkey swinging through the trees it's always eye ear sound nose tongue body mind eye mind it generally runs from eye to mind body to mind mind out to tongue you know it's, it's doing this synthesizing and builds up a world of objects through that continual running on you look at something simple like a piece of wood like this very prolonged way as best you can you know so you sit there and look at that for so the light is steady for 10 10 minutes without flickering after a while your mind just won't know what it is <laughs> you go and you start to see patterns on it, and your mind it starts to go fuzzy, 
and blur it starts to vibrate visual vibration in it and you'll start to feel strange because normally your eyes are always jigging around but you won't if you really look at it you won't be able to see that thing as a fixed thing It's only apparently fixed because you're, you're, you're constantly shifting, eyes constantly shifting, mind is drifting, and we carry an inference of a piece of wood. It's a mental inference. Then, if the consciousness is moving fast enough, we don't notice that. You pin it on something like a blank sheet of paper without a lot of detail on it for just you know ten minutes. See if that thing is really there or not. And you're, you know, you're, you're vibrate, foggy. You see details in it. You see little patterns in it. Uh, yeah, and eventually you won't even know what it is anymore. Like, yeah, and when it starts looking at you, <laughs> I did this. I used to do this as a practice when I was in my early years. Just have a, like a simple white disc. You look at it for an hour. So just hold the eyes on it. And after a while it starts looking at you and you wonder who's the real thing, this or me? And it's just this kind of vibrant, <laughs> you know, and it, it, it's, this is consciousness kind of playing its tricks. If you jam the action, which is to keep shifting, you can see it's just mirage, 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 mirage. And the person who's seeing also starts to change. Mm. So it's all flux, nothing solid there at all. It does help to have ex- touch of those experiences just to, you know, even touch into and bear in mind and just even can think uh, uh, to hold that just even as, as, a, as a conceptual understanding and check it out. Because, yeah, you know, you know, remember, it's really, if one, it really is beginning the end of the game. If you, if in your experience you are able and you find the faith to just touch into the real thing. Yeah. And sure, we'll get lost. Sure, we'll slip over. Sure, we're going to get fascinated. Sure, we're going to get obsessed. Sure, we're going to get upset. Sure, we're going to wake up in the morning feeling rotten. But something will begin to really get it. You've just got to bear with this. This is just mirage. Poignant, passionate, intense but it's mirage and it's not it's you know and it's there's a way out Uh, or it's a way to not, not keep creating it so i hope some of this is useful